0: This is just a warning that today's episode contains an incident of explicit language and also contains audio from a 911 call that is pretty intense. Many survival stories include an element of helplessness. When you're far from civilization, hurt, unable to move— there's little you can do to keep yourself alive. It's helplessness that sets in when things get really, really bad. But there's another feeling, however dim, that keeps you going. Hope. Though you may be unable to help yourself in the face of extreme danger, there's comfort in knowing that someone out there may be looking for you. That comfort That hope can be what allows you to survive. And if you get into trouble in a place where search and rescue is accessible, that hope multiplies. Backpackers' hometown of Boulder, Colorado, boasts 250 miles of trail that see constant use from locals and many of the area's 1.8 million yearly visitors. World-class hiking, trail running, and rock climbing are within a 15-minute drive in any direction, but it's deceptively rugged, and bluebird skies can turn hellish on a dime. The region, the setting for today's story, is also home to one of the most active search-and-rescue networks in the country. These highly trained volunteers save countless lives every year. No matter the terrain, no matter the weather, emergency responders will answer the call of distress. They're the reason why even when we're helpless, we're not hopeless.
1: I made a decision to survive. You're in that survival mode. The the idea of dying wasn't in my head. I
0: knew immediately it was a worst-case scenario. I was in a fight-for-my-life situation. Whenever
1: you walk out on these trails, you're in their house.
0: I'm Louisa Albanese and you're listening to Out Alive by Backpacker. In each episode of this podcast, we'll bring you real stories of real people who survived the unsurvivable.
1: I saw the rope zip through the rappel ring and I couldn't do anything.
0: Learn what went wrong, what went right, and how you can escape if the worst case scenario happens to you.
1: There is no way we would find anybody alive.
2: I'm Courtney Henderson. I am 20 years old, but I was 19 during the time of the accident. I live over in Aurora, Illinois, so I'm not even from the Denver area. My best friend Gavin wanted to fly out and surprise his dad for uh, Father's Day. And so we booked flights. I was supposed to fly out later so I could spend the day with my dad. We did a bunch of hikes. We went to the Red Rocks the day before. So then we found Bear Peak or South Boulder Peak. South Boulder
0: Peak sits at an elevation of 8,500 feet, offering panoramic views of the eastern plains, the cities of Boulder and Denver, and the Continental Divide. The trail gains almost 3,000 feet of elevation and is rated difficult or
2: strenuous. We had checked everything, like weather. It was supposed to be partly cloudy all day. We were hiking El Dorado using all trails so we didn't get off trail. And hiking like it's a normal day, you know, taking a walk. People are saying hi, you know, somebody told us about the poison ivy. It was sunny, there was no clouds in sight. And then all of a sudden we get up in this kind of like channel. It was really weird how the mountain folded in on itself. We didn't have any helmets, we didn't have any ropes. So we just kept going up thinking, hey, we're on trail, we're gonna get up to the summit. People walk this trail all the time. We just passed how many people who were up here. So really like, It was a normal day until a storm came through. We had gotten up there, we had looked up, and we were like, we can't get up there the rest of the way. We went to turn around to go back, thinking we'll go back the same way we came up, and that was not an option. We had to think of some other way to get back down. And then it started raining at that point, And it was already starting to get slippery. So that's where I knew that we were in trouble, was after it started drizzling, and then realized that we were stuck.
0: The violence of the storm stopped Gavin and Courtney in their tracks. Unable to continue up or down, they quickly called 911, who dispatched search and rescue. This is going to be Wesley with a transfer. I have two stranded individuals on Shadow Canyon. All right, is anyone hurt or you just need help getting down?
1: No, nobody's hurt. We just need help getting down. We tried for a good hour to try to get up or down, and we can't. Okay.
0: And what is your name? My name is Gavin Caruso. Okay. And Where did you start from? Yeah, and then, like, my friend's kind of having a panic attack. So, and now it's starting to get dark, and it's raining, okay. and we're at a very high elevation. Where did you yeah, start a very from? Very
1: dangerous position.
0: Okay. And are you dressed for the weather?
1: No, we're in short sleeves and shorts, okay. and it's starting to get cold, and it's raining. And that's made, like, the rock really slippery, so, like, we can't get down.
2: Got a little more calm after we had called 911 originally, but the storm had gotten worse. I was literally seeing lightning strikes hit the mountain and the trees.
0: Here's Drew Hildner from Rocky Mountain Rescue.
1: In Boulder, we get these monsoons that if you're someone that's outdoors a lot, you can just anticipate that two or three o'clock you want to be off any summits. I do remember that storm... When the tone went out, I kind of went, okay, yeah, you know, that all makes sense. I would want to get off that summit as well because there there was impressive lightning associated with that storm and, and it really came in and rained hard with high wind. And even in Boulder, it was a serious summer storm that was blowing through. The nice thing is they blow through fairly quickly, but if you're exposed like that and certainly being concerned about lightning strike is, is a legitimate concern for sure.
2: I do remember after... I saw that lightning strike hit the ground, like my arm hair raised up a little bit. We felt the energy off of the strike. And that's when they started texting us, asking us if we were able to get down. I was kind of like, I don't think we should, but Gavin was pretty adamant about making that happen, like getting us out of the situation. I was really scared Pretty much the whole time after we called 911 originally. If there were trees, they were burnt to a crisp and just laying there with their tree trunks. I've always had a very hard time describing the details of when we fell and everything, but I do remember like trying to climb down physically. I got worried. I could see it in his face, he was getting a little worried that we were out there and everything. Before we fell, his words were, I'm gonna go first so I can catch you if you fall. We basically slipped and fell like you're falling down a rock wall. It would be that free fall and then the initial tumble. And they said it was
1: closer to 50 foot fall it started from if your basic search, which is gonna be like, all right, we'll send three or four people out to go find these folks and walk them down and pretty quickly turned into one injury and then two injuries um, and severe injuries.
2: I actually remember the whole fall, like falling. I remember how many times I hit my head. I remember when my glasses flew off. I remember where my hat flew off. I remember when my like, shirt got caught on a rock. I obviously had my eyes closed when I fell, but I remember all my other senses that were picking up. I woke up first. I I looked around you know I knew what was going on but I didn't know how serious it was. I was just trying to recollect my thoughts and figure out what do we need to do next and that's when I started dripping blood onto my hands.
1: And so we had to from an organizational standpoint really ramp up our response and the speed of our response at that point because it went from people that were safe to people that had life-threatening injuries. And so pretty quickly, we ended up having about 25 rescuers respond. And we had already sent those first three people into the field uh, to go just as a, what we call a hasty team with a little bit of extra food and clothing and water to bring them out. And so we already had some resources in the field, but they suddenly didn't have the gear that they would need to be in technical terrain and to start to effect a rescue. So we had to send in more people to do that. And that was when I noticed my, I had my head cracked
2: open down to my skull. I wake up and I remember seeing Gavin's shoe like 30 feet in front of me. And I'm like, okay, there's his shoe. Where'd the rest of him go? And I actually remember turning around and he he was laying there out cold. That's when I knew it. it just got real, basically. And so I roll him over because he's laying on his side. And, you know, I'm yelling at him, shaking him. I'm like, wake up. Like, you have to wake up. Please just wake up. So it was really weird, exactly like a movie. And that's when I took my phone out of his pocket and called 911. I wasn't even able to touch my screen, right? So much blood. It was still raining. I had to use my emergency button. 911, what's the address of the emergency?
0: This is this is Jeff with the transfer. Uh, I don't oh. know where she is. Uh, OK, ma'am. On the Trail. Ma'am, oh, I
2: need you to take a deep breath. We have a rescue team that's supposed to try to find okay, us. OK, they, they're on their way.
0: They're looking for you right no. now, OK? But you need to no, stay my home. No, friend, no. No, no, my friend, he's unconscious. I'm bleeding. It's an emergency, emergency now. I'm bleeding. I'm going to die. Okay.
2: what happened? We fell down the mountain. (laughs) That's when things like started coming back to me. I started realizing how serious it was. And then I started noticing how serious it was for me, my injuries, because I'm thinking, oh, I have to deal with Gavin. I'm gonna bleed out. Where, my God. where are
0: you bleeding from? My head. Do you have Gavin, you're okay? Stop Steven. moving, Gavin. Is he the one unconscious? Yes. Yeah.
2: Okay, yeah. is he unconscious or is he
0: understanding what you're saying right now?
2: He's trying to move, he won't even respond to me. Gavin, Gavin, you have to you have to calm down. Gavin, you're gonna fall again. Stop.
1: And so most of this operation we also did in the dark, which slows things down as well. Fortunately, the Flight for Life helicopter was able to find a landing zone and land before dark, and they were willing to sit tight. They had to fly a
2: helicopter over us to try and find us. And I remember hearing whistling like up at the summit, because like where we fell, we could see the top of the mountain. We were still up at the summit, basically.
0: Do you see any markers to tell you
2: where you're at? Is there anything that stands no. out? I mean, I see the fucking world. I, I see like a whole bunch of mountains. I see the windmill, windmill. We are literally on the face of a
1: mountain. What's interesting about South Boulder Peak is that it sits up about maybe 3,000 feet above Boulder, but it's visible. You can see the whole town of Boulder from the peak and vice versa. And what was a weird aspect of this rescue is, you know, it's, it's right in the foothills for us, but you might as well have been on a big mountain up near the Continental Divide, just because the closest we can drive to that peak is still about six miles and, like I said, 3,000 feet of vertical from where they were up near the summit of that peak. I want to call my mom. I want
2: to tell her that I love her. His head's bleeding a lot, and I'm bleeding a lot. We're going to bleed out and die. Ma'am, we're going to die. I need you to stop thinking like that,
0: okay? They are on their way. They're going as fast as they can. I need you to take a deep breath in through your nose and out through your mouth. I want you to focus on doing that over and over again, okay? Deep breath in through your nose, out through your mouth. Can you rip his shirt and put it on his
2: head to control the bleeding? Okay, give me just a second. I'm gonna try to put my phone down so I can rip off my shirt and put it on on his head, okay? Okay. I told him at one point, I laid him on my lap and was like, dude, I'm gonna rip your shirt off. We're gonna cross boundaries. I'm gonna tie it around your head to create a tourniquet so you stop bleeding. And I remember I tried and tried. I couldn't rip it because he was in one of the athletic fit shirts. And no ma'am, that's not possible. And I didn't wanna sit him up and take his shirt off because we were in a car accident in 2018 where I broke my neck and he broke his back. So I knew we both had previous spinal injuries. So I didn't wanna move him too much and hurt him more. So I just had to leave him without the tourniquet on his head. And that's where I feel like is my fault that's probably the hardest part for me knowing that i couldn't get his shirt off to wrap it around his head even though rescue and doctors told me had i done that it wouldn't have done anything this is the last home stretch i promise i see lights i promise i have a video and a picture of that night and like this whole half of my face covered in blood but because he was out cold i really didn't know what was going on I remember that was, that added more of the panic feeling, is not knowing what was going on with him and not knowing if he was okay. And I just hear him, you know, Rocky Mountain Rescue, they're whistling, you know, yelling. That's where Gavin and I stopped communicating because they were starting to get down. And then he had actually realized that rescue was there.
1: What was interesting as well is, once we got the first folks there, we realized that given the severity of the injuries and the fact that Flight for Life was able to find a landing zone, but up near the summit of South Boulder Peak in a saddle between South Boulder Peak and Bear Mountain, the fastest thing for us to do was actually gonna be an uphaul, hauling the patients up about 300 feet to get them to the helicopter. Um, was gonna be a lot faster than doing a, a blade lowering out down the mountain, through a valley, and then across a couple miles of trail to be able to get them to the trailhead. But in this case, we were gonna have to do an uphaul. We were gonna have to haul the litter up using a rope and pulleys and a haul system. That was complicated by the fact that a few years ago, a forest fire had come through and burned most of the trees in the area. And so everything was fairly denuded of trees. And those trees that were remaining, some of them you could literally wiggle with your arm. And that is not something that you wanna set up a hall system on and trust people's lives to the patients or the rescuers. That was an issue as well, is what can we find that are suitable and safe anchors to build this hall system? And then from the least technical location where we could work this hall system, down to the patient was about 300 feet, involving several overhanging cliff bands. And so both getting access down to those two patients and then getting doing the uphaul to get the patients back out of there was pretty resource intensive and took some time.
2: Yeah, so when Rescue arrived, they had went down to Gavin, obviously, because he needed it more. And then they were talking about getting the litter ready for us they originally wanted to litter Gavin up because he needed it but they wanted to try and put me in a harness and like get carried up with them they only had one litter so they had to do us one at a time so they littered Gavin up first what was really nice is that our last words to each other was I love you because I just I had this gut feeling one of us wasn't gonna make it so I was like Gavin and like he looks at me and I was like I love you, dude. And he's like, I love you too. I had a harness on connected to one of their ropes and they put a helmet on. They took off my shirt around my head and put a an actual bandage around my head.
1: We prioritized the first patient, the male patient. He had more serious injuries and he was talkative, mostly oriented in terms of knowing where he was. As we started the evacuation, Unfortunately, he had severe injuries and having to move the patient can always, and how you orient them in terms of we had, to, we had to tie the litter into the head end and so that kind of tipped his legs down a little bit. We couldn't keep him flat and he started to go downhill and unfortunately we lost pulses and responsiveness just as we finished the uphaul. Fortunately, we had some members of the local fire department who were paramedics and we also had the flight crew up top at at the hall system where we finished hauling the patient through the technical terrain and were able to do do a full resuscitation and were actually able to get pulses back. Um, We had to breathe for the patient And we weren't done yet though, because we'd just gotten out of technical terrain. We were still about three quarters of a mile from the helicopter and still had to do another set of uphaul over a lower slope. While
0: some rescuers were assisting with the gargantuan task of extracting Gavin, personnel were also caring physically and emotionally for Courtney and trying to assess the
2: best plan for her rescue. And I had a bunch of space blankets because we were freezing. It was so cold. They're like, you know, if you wait for the litter, like it's going to be an extra some hours. And I'm like, honestly, like, I don't even think I can get up. I tried to get up. We couldn't get me up
1: and then a, what we call a scree vac, which is lowering down moderate angle slopes with a blade litter. As I mentioned, we usually like to go down with gravity. So we had to do another uphaul and then a lowering down to the helicopter. Significantly more medical care had to occur. I think what was tough for some of the rescuers on that call was just sitting there with him for hours. And even during the later evacuation, just knowing that we were doing everything we could for him, but the emergency department, even the ambulance, was miles and miles away. And so there's, to some extent, a feeling of helplessness in terms of knowing what needs to be done, but you just don't have the equipment to do it because it's not practical to have that kind of equipment in the field. I think they had to resuscitate him again near the helicopter, and then the helicopter was able to fly to the hospital and drop the patient off.
2: So I remember the helicopter leaving with him and like, I'm just like asking like him about him. I'm not even asking about me. I'm just like, is Gavin's okay? What's going on with Gavin? Trying to really stay on top and know that he's okay in a way. And then it was a really weird, the litter was really weird actually.
1: So we had to reset this whole system and, and start all over again with Courtney.
2: It was very tight. It's not like what you think of the movies where they like bring the helicopter over and they over attach the litter to the bottom of the helicopter and you fly off with the litter there. I was still like really scared because I'm just laying in this thing. I can't move. I'm looking down at what I just fell down and I don't want to
1: fall back down it. Courtney flew out at about three in the morning. What we did that day up up there is something that other rescue groups maybe do one in 10 years. And so it just requires a lot of equipment, a lot of people, and we had to hike all that out as well. So we got out of the field at about 5.30 in the morning. So just as, uh, just as it was getting light and the sun was rising.
2: I remember when I got to the hospital, it was kind of like Grey's Anatomy when they're rushing people into the ER. And I remember laying there after the hospital had called my mom And I remember seeing my doctor and a chaplain walk in. I knew that there was going to be some bad news because they don't just bring a chaplain in anytime. So when she walked in, she looks at me and she's like, so I've got to tell you what's going on with you. And I've got some other news. So you broke your C7 um, and your first rib. And then we're gonna stitch up your head. Then she says, "But unfortunately, your companion that you were hiking with." And I cut her off. I was like, "Don't tell me." I was like, I don't, "Don't say those words." And I was like, "No." I was like, "No." I was like, "He's dead." And they're like, and the, she, they like shook their head. Yeah. And I was like, "Can I be alone?" I just needed to be alone and process what you guys just told me, because I remember. When I got there, and they're rushing me over to get scans and images, basically Xeroxing my body. I remember looking over at the screens in the ER and seeing his name. So I was like, oh, you know, he's okay. Like his name is on the screen. He's okay. He's here. I'm here. We're both here. Like we're going to be okay. We were finally out. And then shortly after, my images that's when they came in and told me that. We met through a mutual friend. I'd actually worked with my friend that I met him through at Steak and Shake when I was like 16. (laughs) So I was hanging out with them and Gavin was over one night and then him and I just started hanging out uh, more and more every day. He was over at my house more than he was anywhere. He was funny, he was adventurous like me, so we went on a lot of adventures together. So adventuring was kind of our thing, going places, traveling, all that other stuff. That's really what we all kind of associate Gavin with because he was always on the move, always, for no reason. No reason whatsoever, he was just always traveling, not the kids to sit inside all day and be on our phones or play video games but he was a really great guy actually, really loyal friend. He was always there when you needed him. It's been pretty hard. I've had a good support system. I was out of work for about four months. Healing has been okay in and out of doctors. I'm really tired of doctors at this point. I'm a very active person, but I know it's for the best. Right now I'm in physical therapy. I haven't had to have any operations, which is really good. I've started to go go into trauma therapy, EMDR, for the fall recently, so I think I'm progressing very well, taking healthy steps to heal. I still will love to adventure and will actually do it for Gavin now, too. My parents actually got me a compass That is like one of the real compasses, like it flips open, it's got a little chain on it, and it's got the coordinates from where we fell and everything. And so I actually bring that with me. That's like my, he's with me kind of thing.
0: This episode was produced in memory of Gavin Caruso. We were fortunate to have access to interview Drew for Rocky Mountain Rescue's Experience and Perspective. We wanted to give some space here at the end for his final thoughts and some advice from the search and rescue perspective and his 17 years of experience.
1: I'm one of the leaders of the group. I've been in the rescue group for 17 years now, Um, and so that's been about... I would say about 600 rescues. And we're one of the busier rescue groups in the country other than the national parks. And so we see about 200 rescues per year. And so we definitely stay busy and get a lot of experience. We're all volunteer. We're a member of the Mountain Rescue Association, which is a national organization of volunteer professional rescuers. And we get toned out just like any other emergency services agency. I certainly think that Courtney uh, and Gavin did right by you know trying to find shelter from uh, the storm once it occurred calling 911 early that's a, a point that I think is important the the standard is that you don't get charged for rescue. And for this reason, we'd prefer you to call us, you know, at four in the afternoon before things are too serious rather than, you know, middle of the night when it's kind of already bad and too late. So that's one thing I wanna to emphasize to to people is don't delay to call for rescue. Look at the forecast, see what Um, might be coming in and and also kind of just keep an eye on the clouds. Some of those white fluffy clouds, if they start building quickly and start gaining vertically, that's indication on a a summer day that that's going to turn into a thunderhead. So that's something to keep in mind as well as the 10 essentials, you can look that up uh, many places. We also include the cell phone as one of the 10 essentials. And that was very helpful for us because we actually have technology to be able to get your GPS location. That was helpful and just to kind of get the updates because again, that initial call was just two lost subjects and and it ended up being more in, in knowing sooner rather than later, the details there was good. Kind of the most important thing you can keep is your situational awareness and pay attention to what's going on around you. And I think that's a very helpful thing.
0: This episode of Out Alive was produced by me, Louisa Albanese, along with Zoe Gates and Corey Buhay. Story editing and sound design was by Wild Acorns Media. Our script writers were me and Zoe Gates. This episode was mixed by Jason McDaniel from Electric Audio Inc. Thank you to Courtney Henderson for trusting us with your story. Thank you to Drew Hildner for your transparency and time. And thank you to Rocky Mountain Rescue Group for volunteering your time to answer the call when hikers are in trouble.